you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. HR is one of the most challenging, rewarding, and misunderstood professions in the corporate space. And in this session, we are going to address the challenges and the best practices, as well as the five imperatives for being successful in HR today. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you're joining me for this session today. And to introduce our next amazing speaker, Barbie Winterbottom is a consultant, coach, speaker, and former CHRO, and Barbie's five imperatives of HR have been shared and used by many HR professionals around the world, and I'm excited to be sharing them with you today. Barbie, welcome to the summit. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, and dude, I need to like carry you around with me to do my intro all the time. That was fabulous. <laughs> well, thank I you. I would it. love I would love to do that. I'd love to be your spokesperson and just walk around and introduce you as you walk into rooms to get people like pumped up. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like the Royals used to do, right? They have like a whisperer and they would tell them who it is. And then everybody yeah. made it feel totally down for that. Yeah. Totally. You know, I saw a post earlier today of, uh, by one of our other speakers, Ken Coleman, that was, you know, one of those, like, if you knew you couldn't fail and money didn't matter, what dream job would you go after? Maybe mine yeah. would just be MC, you know, I want to just like introduce people, pump them up, get them on the stage. Um, but then I want some stage time myself, but then MC is always on the stage too. Right. So yeah, yes. maybe, maybe I'll go for that. So, uh, but we digress. I want to get into this session and make sure we're giving people some value. Um, Barbie, what, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. A lot of uncertainty. We're coming out of COVID and, um, you know, we're now in this area of like the great resignation people are calling it and, and a lot of turnover and that sort of stuff. What's going on in the world of HR today? I think this is a pivotal moment for the the people space or the HR space, you know, and as you mentioned, I wrote the five imperatives for HR professionals and and I wrote it coincidentally at the beginning of COVID, but COVID really didn't have anything to do with it. But now that we're coming out of COVID and, and HR pros have been so taxed and so leveraged and in many cases over leveraged over the past 18 months to two years, I think it's even more important that we start to reframe and understand what our role is now and what it needs to be in the future. And, you know, there's there's a reckoning, I think, that has been happening that really needs to, to continue. Because if you were to um, survey the world of, of employees and ask them, what do you think about HR? Sadly, a lot of the feedback is going to be very, very negative. Um, they're, out, you know, they're the Grim Reaper. They're out to get me. All they care about is compliance and rules and, and all of that. And so as an HR community, I think at this point, we have to own that, right? We have to take that feedback, whether you personally are that type of person or not, the reality is we have to own that feedback and, and make a transformation, reposition ourselves, rebrand what, what we are and who we are and the, and the how of the work we do. And so that's where I feel so strongly about the five imperatives because you know, the first imperative, I'll just jump right in, is to be a business leader who works in the people space. Mm -hmm. 
We've got to step away from being a, a quote unquote HR person who sits there and just focuses on the, the bubble of the HR world. We have to be immersed and completely integrated within our organizations. And that means with our people at all levels, all functions, and, and understand the language they speak, what's important to them, and what's not important to them. We, we can't keep rolling out processes and tools and procedures simply because it's an HR thing to do. We've got to be just intimately in touch with what's going on in our business. As, as HR professionals or as business leaders who work in the people space, we should fluidly speak to what is our EBITDA goal? What is our annual revenue? What is our profit margin on our top three products? Who are our top five customers? Who are our top five competitors? What percentage of our business are we getting from our top two customers? If we lost one of them, what kind of risk would we have? What is our pipeline looking like for bringing in new customers? We should speak this language. We should know what's keeping our COO up at night. What's keeping our operational folks up at night? What are the struggles that that frontline supervisor has day in and day out? All of those elements, because really when we think about it, a corporation or a company is, is nothing but a legal framework, right? It's a mm. legal entity. It, what makes it a business or an organization is the people who work within that organization. And our role is to create an infrastructure that allows people to thrive while they're attaining business goals and objectives. So our role is no longer to be the compliance police and, and to be those people who simply walk around waving a wand saying, you know, you get fired, you get, but that's not our job. It no. never was our job. Unfortunately, we've allowed people to position us such that it creates that us versus them, yeah. right? So that goes to the second imperative, to be agile and adaptable. Agility, right, in the world of operations and manufacturing, there's agile methodology. And if we take that and apply that to the HR space or to the people space, it will serve us very, very well. And I think we've experienced since COVID how much and how important agility is in the workplace. How many of us had to send people home, let me turn my phone off, um, you know, to work from home in the blink of an eye. Right. We, we, we were in the office one day and we were working from home the next. We had to be agile in making that happen. And, and for some organizations, it was really hard because they didn't have any infrastructure in place to allow that flexibility and that mobility that needed to happen. So we have to look at our processes, our policies, our handbooks and say, are we, are we rigid? Are we rigidly bound by policy and compliance that is, is constricting us from being agile? We don't need a 400 page handbook. Right? We need guidelines and guardrails. And outside of that, let's manage the, the, the outliers. Right, What we've done is the pendulum, you know, it swings one way and then too far the other way. And hopefully eventually we'll land in the middle. And I'm hoping we're getting back towards that middle space. If we, if we rewind the clock and we go from pre-industrial age where most people worked in family farms and businesses and very rural, the industrial age hits, people start moving into cities and, and we create suburbs and, and that kind of thing where, so we went from zero infrastructure to then very rigid infrastructure. And now we need to have infrastructure that allows people autonomy and flexibility. 
we can't create policy for the 10% of bad behavior, which is what we've done. We have said, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Well, we need to write a policy for all of those what ifs, and that's not serving anyone. So let's create policy for the behavior we want and for the 90% of people who come to work and do a good job. And then manage the outliers, but don't punish everybody because you have a few bad eggs in the batch, right? Let's not, let, let's get away from that. We also have to be adaptable. I, I use this phrase a lot, but failure to adapt, when we think about earth science and biology, failure to adapt causes, do you know? Uh, failure to adapt causes, uh, I don't know, um, disruption or something. You know it, no. Failure to adapt causes extinction. Oh, think about it, right? When we yeah. think about species in the wild, if they yeah. fail to adapt, they become extinct. Yeah. We don't want that to happen to our profession. So if we don't start leading with agility and adaptability, our function, that tactical paper function will go away because so much of it will be automated. So much of it will be moved into a more administrative space. So if you don't adapt to the future and the now of what our people need, you will be left behind. So I say that and I mean it with all the love in my heart, but guys, get, get moving, like start to open up your, your parameters, take the blinders off and recognize that this is changing rapidly and we've got to get on board and, and then we can actually help move it forward. So there's the first two. The third imperative is to influence and inform decisions. I, I so strongly believe that our role is to influence and inform the decisions of our business through the lens of the people who are impacted by those decisions. It is our role to bring forward questions, challenges, concerns, ideas, thoughts, data, all the things into that decision-making moment and conversation. And, and I look at it in three, three ways. To me, the trifecta of informing a decision is to use as much data as you possibly can. Marry that with your experience, your experience within that organization, your experience as a human, your experience from other companies, because data alone doesn't tell the whole story. And if you don't have experience to layer on, on top of that data and interpret it, you can go down a really bad path, right? We know we can have data just skewed in, in, in all the wrong ways at times. And then on top of that, use your intuition, your instinct, your gut never lies to you. It, just, it never does. And often we, we push it down and we try to ignore it. But what if we brought that into the conversation? Now I will say, and someone brought this to my attention, make sure you check your bias. Make sure you check your prejudice, that that intuition isn't something that you has become a habit because it's something that you've never done before. So you got you have to check yourself on that. But I do believe that data experience and intuition are kind of the trifecta of of meaningful decision making. And when we can help our business leaders and partner with them and really be that Jiminy Cricket voice to say, did you think about this? And, and what are the potential unintended consequences if we do X? What is your, what do you think is going to happen? Did you think about these things? How will we solve for that? How will we communicate this to our people? How do you believe they're going to interpret this? So our role is to really help craft that strategy in those messages. And sometimes it's even to say, no, 
no, I'm not okay with that. We have to own that power to say no and, and set some boundaries. And, and unfortunately, we haven't done a great job of that um, in the past. The fourth is practical solutions. Bringing forward solutions that, and by practical, I mean they are simple and they are intuitive. I often make a joke that if you want to take something really easy and make it hard, give it to an HR person because we can overcomplicate and, and overproduce just about anything yeah. because we're so focused on the what ifs. Well, what if it, what if somebody does this? What if somebody does that? What about this? What about that? So we over-engineer everything. We've got to step away from that and say, like, if we get 80% of the way there, that's good. Is it practical? Does it actually solve a problem we have right now? Or is it solving for something that we believe will help us avoid a problem in the future? If it doesn't match one of those two things, if it's just because it's the shiny new object, don't do it. You might have an old performance review system, as an example. But if it's working for you and your people and you're getting great results, do you really need to change it? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. There's no silver bullet or one size fits all. And I think that's the other thing we have to think about when we think about practical solutions is that it really is individualized. There is no black and white. This is a true statement for every company and for every person that doesn't exist. And we've tried that and it just doesn't work. So we have to look at what's happening in the moment, in society, in the marketplace, in the in the workforce, and then make those decisions and make sure that they apply to your organization. And the fifth is courage. It takes courage to have these conversations with people. It takes courage oftentimes for an HR business partner or an HR manager to have a hard conversation with a VP or an EVP who might be three, four, five layers above them, but to have a conversation to say, hey, you know, I, I'm really not sure that that conversation was appropriate or you're acting out of your integrity here. What do we need to do to pull this back in? Those are hard conversations to have for anybody, much less someone who is significantly your superior who could pick up the phone and likely, you know, impact your career. So everything we do takes a lot of courage. And, and I think that all of this is underpinned by trust. We have to trust each other. We have to trust ourselves. We have to trust that the work we do is value add and that it's okay to do it differently than we did it before. Setting boundaries is really hard. It takes a lot of courage, but we have to do it. We have to start saying no to things that don't fit within our scope anymore and get away from that HR policy police. I could go on and on. I don't know. If I you know you, you get fired up about this I subject. Do, I, love I the, do. The passion and the energy and um, you know how, how excited you are about this. Um, and I and I've known you now for I don't know a couple of years, and we've gotten to know each other pretty well. We we text all the time, and I know how excited you are about this and about the opportunity because there are so many HR professionals that really do need to make this shift to be thinking about these five imperatives. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, a couple of things you talk about. One is the importance of taking a people first approach to HR and to get away from the people, the the paper pushing right and the and the rules and all that. Um, but at the same time. Um, you know, I've heard you say that HR is not just for people who consider themselves people persons, right? Uh, it can be yes. for anyone. So I wonder if you could expound on that. 
Yeah. So I interpret when someone, when I'm in, in the past, when I've been interviewing people for an HR team and, and I ask them, well, what has you interested in HR? And they're like, I'm a people person. <laughs> <laughs> that is likely the kiss of death for me. And, and I've gotten a ton of negative backlash for saying mm-hmm. that. But here's, here's the framework around where that's coming from. Oftentimes that I'm a people person means I like planning events and birthday parties, and I like doing the cleanup work and taking notes and ordering lunch. That is not the work of a truly strategic HR professional. Our work is about creating an infrastructure and process and policy that allow people to thrive. So yes, you have to care about people at the macro and the micro level, but you also have to have really strong boundaries around what that means as a professional who works in the people space. That means that when that operations manager says, oh, hey, Barbie, can you order lunch for our meeting tomorrow? It means Barbie says, no, actually I can't, but maybe your admin can. Right. So we have to set boundaries and hold them because what we've done by not doing that is we've created the perfect scenario for managers. And notice I didn't say leaders for managers to throw the ball of discipline and responsibility right over the fence, squarely in the lap of HR. And they do this because, and I know you've all heard this before, oh, that's not my, that's not my rule. That's HR's policy. Well, if you don't like it, go talk to HR. They're the ones who rolled that out. That's not me. So again, we've become the policy police, but we've allowed it to happen. We haven't said to that employee when they come to us, well, you know what? Unfortunately, I can't really help you. Yes, that is the policy, but your your manager or your mm-hmm. leader is the person who's responsible for how that works in your department. So let, let's go together and talk with your supervisor and let that person have that difficult conversation. But we've allowed them to put us in that hot seat huh, over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. we're going to send you to HR like the principal's office, right? And they'll have the tough conversation with you. Um, Along those lines, you said that, I love that you, all of the five imperatives, Mm -hmm. so important. The fifth imperative is about having courage, right? And what you're talking about now is making some difficult changes, right? To having tough conversations, setting boundaries, telling that manager, no, this is not my job. This is your job. Uh, a lot of people might say, yeah, I agree that that's what I've, I've dreamt of that. I've fantasized about that, but I'm afraid, right? There's a lot of fear that what happens if I do that, I could lose my job. How do we get past that fear to really set those boundaries and do the right thing? I think it is, it is a very common question I get. And I think you start small, you can start with some small decisions, but I think the key is to really work with your leadership and make sure that your leadership is going to have your back when you start setting and holding your boundaries. Letting them know like, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Where I need to focus on these three things. These are the the big buckets where we're really gonna move the needle within our organization and our people. And I'm asked to do all of these other tactical elements. So one, where can this other work go? Because some of it still has to get done. And two, of the other things, is it really necessary? I can give you two examples. When I took over an HR team several years ago um, as a CHRO, one of my employees was spending eight hours a week, so one full work day every week, generating, scrubbing, sanitizing, reformatting, and sending out reports. 
And I was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, what are these reports? What's so important that it's sent out every week? She's like, well, I don't know. I was just trained to do this. And so it's what I do. So one, she didn't even know what, why, and what she was doing. So I said, stop sending them. You would think I would have, you know, I just like reinvented the wheel. What do you mean? Stop doing it. I'm like, stop doing, stop sending them. Yeah. And she did. And no one ever asked for the data. (laughs) Right. Right. So there, that's a perfect example of is is some of this busy work even necessary for you Mm. anymore? So you have to look at it through the lens of what's value add and what is work that I'm doing because I've always done it. Another example is a lot of HR people get wrapped into like ordering PPE and safety equipment and that type of thing. That's not our role. If you, if you need safety equipment, you likely have a safety team, which means the safety team or the operations team can take ownership of that. That doesn't need to fall in HR's lap. There's nothing to do with us that, that we need to be involved in that. So there's a lot of those types of things. Yeah. Another example with boundaries that I, I think helps folks really wrap their head around it is I often ask when I'm coaching HR teams or TA teams through transformation, I will ask them to tell me like, what's your favorite fast food or retail establishment? And most of the time, I get one of three or four different answers. Um, Chick-fil-A is usually one of the ones that comes up. We love Chick-fil-A. I'm like, perfect. Let me walk you through something. Why do you love Chick-fil-A? Product, high quality, people are happy. I know when I go there, I'm going to get what I ordered and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Great. Okay. Can you go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday and order? No. Can you get a pizza? No. Can you get a cheeseburger? If you work at Chick-fil-A, can you wear jeans and a t-shirt? No. Okay. So you have a great experience. It's your favorite fast food establishment. And yet they have boundaries. They have expectations. So if you work within their boundaries, you're guaranteed a great experience and a great product. Why can't we do the same thing? These are our boundaries. We are here to deliver great people infrastructure and strategy, but here's our boundaries. And here's why those boundaries are so important. You know, Amazon comes up a lot. Can you call an order from Amazon? No, you can't. You can't go to a distribution center and pick up your product. You can't. So every organization has boundaries, but HR has somehow become very confused between being a servant leader and servitude. And we've got to break that. We have got to break out of that and say, here's the work we do. Here's the value we add. And everything outside of that is not ours to own. And we'll partner with you or we'll help you find an owner for it, but it's not ours to own. Heck yeah. All right. Uh, Setting boundaries. Uh, Last question for you, Barbie, Um, for people who are, you know, I love the five imperatives, right? And building on that for people who are thinking about, Uh, getting into a career of HR or looking for ways to become more successful in HR, what's one more piece of advice would you give? You know, how would you guide people? And I know you work with people who are like, Hey, I want to be more successful in HR. What do you tell them? I tell them to think like an owner. 
Mm. Think about ways in which you can operationalize concepts. Think about um, a, an upstream and a downstream impact. Because again, oftentimes when people get into HR, they start to live in this HR bubble and they don't think ups and downs. And we all have them. So when you think like an owner, you're thinking about, well, what are the potential outcomes if I do X, right? If I pull this trigger, what are the things that could happen? Or if I back it up three or four steps and I fix this up here, then what would I need to do, right? So we have to think through things holistically and not just, oh, well, here's the policy we need to change or here's the, the lever we need to pull for this. But we, because we, we get very quickly into that framework of firefighter and hero, and we have to move away from that. So if you're thinking about getting into HR or you're in HR, I challenge you, think like an owner and think like a fire preventer, not a firefighter. Right, because that's what we've become. We we get called in to swoop in and clean up and fix it. Somebody fired somebody and they did it wrong, and we're going to get sued. We swoop in and we fix it. No, 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 no. We need to be way upstream on that and teach them how to do it right, and then hold them accountable and put the ownership where it belongs so that they do it right. And if they don't, let them clean it up. That's not our job. So it's really coming into it with that mindset of operationalizing concepts and ideas thinking like an owner and preventing the fires from happening and getting away from that hero syndrome that far too many people are really married to. I like it. Operationalized concepts, prevent fires. Don't be a firefighter, right? To be more strategic. Um, yes. Barbie, this has been great for um, anyone listening, watching, especially HR professionals who are looking to accelerate their career success. Um, if they want to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? Well, as you know, I'm all over LinkedIn these days, so you can always find me on LinkedIn. And I have a fairly unique name, so I'm not too hard to find. Um, but you can also go to businessofhr.com, my website. Um, you can email me through that. You can, um, yeah, my, my information is pretty much everywhere. So businessofhr.com or LinkedIn are probably two best ways to find me right now. I'm, I'm oh, and I have a YouTube channel. The Business of HR YouTube channel. Definitely check that out. I do a weekly live show myself and I post all the videos to YouTube so you can watch them. And what's really cool, Andy, and I love this, is a lot of HR teams have started watching my videos like one a month mm. and then having like internal learning sessions mm. because I interview great people like you on the show and we talk about so many things and we go really deep. I know you're on my lineup. Don't, don't worry. It's like, I don't think I've been on that show. I know. We, well, we're only on episode 15. Um, so we're getting there. We're, we're yeah. doing our 2022 lineup. Yeah. But it's really cool that people are using this as a tool to yeah. help transform the way their teams are thinking about the work they do. And it's totally free. So I encourage yeah. people to check that out too. Oh, fantastic. Businessofhr.com, Business of HR YouTube channel. Uh, I know Barbie's very active on LinkedIn and just uh, posting all kinds of great stuff on there on a daily basis. She and I are connected and, and follow and support each other. Um, and we covered a lot of great ground in this interview, Barbie. I'm just looking back at my notes. We talked about what's going on in HR today. Um, we covered your five imperatives, including uh, HR professionals needing to be more strategic, um, needing to be more agile and flexible, um, talking about adapting and um, and you, you said something there about failure to adapt being uh, leading to extinction, which is like, okay, boom, we definitely need to take some action here. Um, needing to lead, lead with agility. Um, you talked about the importance of using data, um, using practical solutions uh, that are simple and intuitive and having the courage 
to set boundaries and do the right thing. Um, we also talked about why you don't need to be a people person to work in HR, and we want people to be more strategic. Uh, what to do if you're looking about looking to, to change careers into HR or be more successful in HR, uh, and advice for those HR professionals to really take their careers to the next level by operationalizing concepts preventing fires and not being a firefighter. So thank you again for coming on the Own Your Career Summit and sharing all of this great advice with us. And for those of you who are watching and listening at home, thank you for being here. I hope that you took some notes. I hope you got some value. Um, think about those five imperatives. What are those one or two things that you want to go operationalize and take action on? Make this time worthwhile for you. It's only valuable if you go and take action from this and become that people first HR professional. Uh, reach out to Barbie if you want more help. Uh, connect with both of us. And thank you again for watching. Cheers.